Hey everyone, I'm Christine Kane. You know, over the course of my ministry life, I have been asked literally thousands of times around the world if I can mentor women so that they can grow and they can discover their God-given purpose and potential and flourish in life and ministry. So I've committed this season of my life to setting up a program to really help to mentor, train, equip and mobilize women into their God-given purpose and potential. Now, my friend Tara Beth Leach and I have rallied trusted leaders and coaches from every sphere of life to develop a life-changing Propel Women cohort experience for you. You know, I can't tell you how pumped up I am with the stories that I get of transformation that happens when women have gone through this cohort experience. It is absolutely astounding to see and hear all that God is doing in their lives. So I'd love to have you join us for the next round of Propel Women cohorts, and it's starting really soon. So whether you are in ministry or whether you're a professional woman or a businesswoman or a pastor's wife, why don't you consider joining our next round of cohorts at propelwomen.org cohorts. Hi, friends. I'm Chris Kane, and you're listening to the Propel Women Life and Leadership Podcast, where we share faith-fueled stories from leaders all over the globe to help you fulfill your God-given purpose. I am so glad that you're joining us today. Let's dive in. My friend Laurie Ann Biggers is the CEO of a global company and the co-founder of Bella Vaughan. Now, I need to tell you all, this is my dear friend. We have done Christmases together. She has made jewelry for me, for my daughters. And so this is like real deal today. I am very, very pumped. And she also sits on four global corporate boards and honestly blows me away. She's got over 25 years of experience in the global finance and insurance industry and was the president of Lloyd's of London. So I don't know if that impresses you all, but it does me, that's for sure. And I'm so grateful that my friend Lorianne is in my life. I'm so glad you're here with us on the Propel Women's podcast. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for including me. <laughs> totally. Okay. So I would think it would be safe to say that in all these years at a very, very I like to say when it comes to you, there's only a couple of you in my life that I know women. Um, you haven't, you're not like just in the C suite. If there was an A and a B suite, you're in the A and the B. Like well, most of us don't even see the C, but let alone get into the A. So that's like, you're kind of at that level of high leadership and business. Um, I just, you know, I want to know, and I'm sure everyone listening this, because you're still um, a remarkable woman great wife my kids love you like their favorite aunt um you're so warm you're so personable yet you're in a very cutthroat world how have you stayed so nice <laughs> so I threw that at her <laughs> I have one word humility uh, you know because honestly the second you think that you're better than anybody else as my father used to say, there is not a far fall from the penthouse to the outhouse. And so quite wow. honestly, um, you know, success breeds lack of humility. And I just decided a long time ago that I didn't want to go with that. So uh, I think all of us have our inherent insecurities and all of us have the things that we stay awake at night thinking I could be better at this. I could be better at that. I do the job that only I can do as each one of us do. And I stay in my lane and I know God has a purpose and a plan for me. And I'm very insecure in things that are outside of my lane. So 
I realize that we can't all do it by ourselves. We have to come together as a community to be able to move things forward. So I, I'm insecure outside my world and very secure in what God has called me to do. So I, I love all that. I'm thinking, so you, you know, you serve on boards, you've been accountable to boards and have had to present to boards. You've had staff were obviously working um, for you, alongside you. You've done a startup and a business that's become very successful. So you have partners and you have staff. So I guess in all of your decades, you've probably never been in any conflict situation. <laughs> <laughs> in all of that. In all of them, I would say in the last 10 minutes, I've been in conflict. <laughs> so I think that, that that dynamics and conflict go hand in hand. Nobody likes change. Uh, as we know, the only constant is change, uh, especially right now in what's happening in culture. You see post-COVID where you have an entire demographic that doesn't want to go to work and an entire demographic that does and there's the disparity between the cultural dynamics yeah conflict is an everyday thing and i think the world just seems angrier to me i, I think everybody is ready for a fight and ready to defend their position and um there's a terminology that's out there it's called the tyranny of the microfringe and i feel like we keep bowing to the tyranny of the microfringe to the people that are angry to the people that are wanting to have conflict and seriously if i allow myself to be emotional about things as opposed to logical and feel feel in the moment uh i will respond or react to that emotional uh, component in me instead of saying, look, what's important in the long run? Am I really going to get my point across? Am I going to be able to pick my battles here? And if I pick a battle here, does that dilute my efficiency and my effectiveness uh, later on in something that I might find even more important later on in something that I might find even more important to hang my flag out with regard? Hey everyone, well, you know, without a doubt, the number one thing I've had to work on more than anything else in my entire 35 years of following Jesus is the battle that is happening in my mind. I'm one of those people that is very predisposed to obsessive rumination. And if I am not careful to take every thought captive to the knowledge of God, I can spiral down a black hole like anyone else. You know, people say, Chris, you have got so much of the word that comes out of your mouth. Let me just tell you, it is not any kind of legalistic man I'm trying to memorize just out of some rote thing. It is a lifeline for me. I have found that by digging into the Word of God and memorizing scriptures, it has helped to transform my mind and I am daily committed to the process of renewing my mind. Can I just say I know that I'm not the only one. So many of us struggle with this battlefield that we have in our mind. What I've done is I've put together a, a free guide of the scriptures that have most helped me, that I've memorized and that I go to again and again, and very often on a daily basis in order to keep renewing my mind and bringing it into alignment with the Word of God. And so I wanna make this available to you because I know so many of us are struggling with our thoughts and we've just had a really, really challenging last few years and it's time to bring our thoughts 
ourselves back into captivity to the knowledge of the Word of God so that we can thrive and we can flourish in life. So head over to christinecane.com slash renew to grab your free guide and start renewing your mind today. I'm, I'm wondering in a big... In- in the area, I think you've really hit on something that just is more divisiveness than I've ever seen in my lifetime. And I don't know if there's more now or it's just amplified because of social media and because of our access to news at a rate that we never did when I was growing up. I don't know. But I'm wondering in a world where we're truly, uh, we all of sorts live a public life, boards are being held to account, um, CEOs are being held to account, uh, it's such a volatile world. How do you keep a team and people on track and actually on mission when you almost have to be defensive rather than offensive? You're more worried about what could I get in trouble for in this current culture as opposed to there was a time when it was like, okay, you know, uh, what deals we're going to make, what ground are we going to take? And it was there was more sort of talk about progress and growth and expansion and vision. And now in in the leadership space, I'm, more of the conversations I'm having with people, both of organizations within the church world and outside of the church world, tend to be more like more of a defensive posture rather than, and when I use defensive and offensive, I'm, I'm talking it both in a positive way of, of more one full of vision and let's go and let's move forward versus, wow, how do we consolidate and not have more contention and be cancelled? Yeah, I think that uh, you see it in the regulatory environment, you see it in the media, you see it in um, social and digital and all of the various platforms. I do believe that there is a more defensive posture and there is no question that people can only focus on what they're immediately looking at right now. And so it's part of my responsibility as a leader and I'll tell you a story in a minute, but to, to make sure that my team knows that I am here, I'm the first line of defense, that the buck stops here, and that there is not a, a shame environment, there's not an environment of blame, that we're in it together, that no one is perfect. I don't expect them to be perfect. I'd rather them move forward and advance all of us understand the platform from which we're speaking. All of us understand the strategy that we're going forward with and not be so incredibly panicked about having the assessment of blame. So I take that off of them very quickly. Uh, I will tell you, we were in a meeting a few weeks ago and my chief operating officer was in the meeting with me and uh, there was a mistake that had been made and it was pretty clear where the blame was going to lie. And, you know, then it started the finger pointing and the meeting completely derailed, right? This, in, in a very expensive meeting, we had flung people in from kind of all over the country. We had people on the phone from London, et cetera. And so when the meeting was over, I sat, I told everybody, please leave. And this is a relatively new COO. And so I said to this individual who thought I was asking him to stay behind so I can dress him down. I said, if you're in the right, I will take a bullet for you. I said, I am your mama grizzly. I am here to protect you. And I, but if we don't communicate, then that's when things start to fall apart. So I do feel like uh, the defensive posture needs to be there from, hey, this is my team. 
nothing is going to penetrate, but it needs to be the leaders up front, not the people that could take the blame that are up front. And if people know that they can live in freedom and that they have people that are in positions of authority, not power, because there's a huge differential between power and authority, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Absolutely. And therein lies the lack of humility, therein lies the ego, therein lies everything else. If they know that I'm going to protect them, then that gives them the freedom to do what they're supposed to do in a secular or in a ministry role. Lorianne, you said something that I think is really important for us to define and differentiate. Can you just explain the difference between power and authority? Yeah, power is when you walk in on your own and you're able to move the room because of who you are. Authority is you are able to get things accomplished because of the mantle that you have been chosen for, the mantle that you've been given. There's a big difference between the two. And I, I say this all the time with regard to my own responsibilities. Yes, in the secular world, I have power in terms of the position that I hold, but I have God's authority to be able to enact that power. And it's only my proximity to him that gives me the authority to implement the power that's been given. I love what you're saying. And, you know, I mean, I've been up close and personal with you to see um, how you integrate faith and work when you're sitting at a boardroom, um, nobody wants you to start with a prayer meeting. They want you to bring the <laughs> quarterly report and they want a profit. So that's it. I go, we're not, we're not having a prayer meeting. So, and yet I know dependent you are on prayer, on the word, uh, and, you know, just being committed to your church. How have you navigated the tension? Because there is a tension. So how have you done it? Or how are you doing it? Yeah, I mean, it's a day-to-day -day choice. And there are times that I'm bolder than other times, but in Christmas about me, a long time ago, over 15 years ago, I determined that I was going to have consistency of character. And that has been the biggest witness of all. Um, after September the 11th, we were having a big meeting. I was living in New York at the time and I got in the elevator and we had talked about the need for people of faith uh, to be with the families of the individuals that we had lost in September the 11th. And it, it was the first time that I had verbalized, you know, I'm a, a baby executive, right? It's the first time I had, had articulated that I was a person of faith and that I felt it was really important for the families to be able to communicate members of the clergy and be able to really hold on to their faith. And we got in the elevator with somebody that I'd been working with for several years. And she said to me, I had no idea you were a Christian. And, you know, that kind of blew me away because I thought I had been relatively bold, um, <laughs> but obviously had not. <laughs> and, you know, when I would go in and I worked on Wall Street for most of my career and, you know, the F word is, you know, an adjective, an adverb, a noun. <laughs> and you know what it means by the intonation, right? I mean, it's its own yeah. vocabulary. And, uh, you know, certainly have had my share of utilizing that word in my past. But uh, I will also say that there have been so many occasions where I chose 
to take a different route, to not show the anger, to not show, um, don't get me wrong. I've had my share of righteous indignation, picking my battles, right? Picking my spots for that. But when I started really seeing people come to me as a leader and opening the door for me to be able to share my faith was when they'd come to me and say, you respond so differently. And why are you different? And the consi- I will say the consistency of character. I keep going back to, you know, the fruits of the spirit. And for someone like me, long suffering is a really, <laughs> really difficult fruit of the spirit. But nevertheless, and again, I pick my battles and I pick my spots. But there are times where I sit back, I wait to get all of the information. I really think through things and I don't immediately you know, jump in. And I have actually found that not only do the fruits of the spirit make me a, a better person of faith, but it makes me, a, they make me a better leader. You know, if you, if you want the roadmap on how to live your life, the Bible is the roadmap on how to live your life. Um, wow. in, in, in the boardroom, in your home, as a mother, as an executive, irrespective, um, if you follow that, it's it's pretty amazing. It's it's a practical guideline, and I don't know why we mystified it to be some you know thing from the past. It's a living, breathing Bible. So, yeah, Lori, and something you've mentioned quite a few times is uh, working on your boldness and and growing in your in your boldness. And I can't help but wonder because of some of the big spaces that you've entered, is imposter syndrome something that you've ever had to fight off? Because I know when I'm in those positions where I have the opportunity to be bold, I talk myself out of it. I'm like, oh, who am I to say that to this person? Or or who am I to share my faith? Or who am I to lead in that way? I just, imposter syndrome causes me to completely talk myself out of it. And so... I'm just wondering if that's something you've ever faced and how you how you overcome it. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I think that there are two different types of imposter syndrome. I think there's the imposter syndrome as a person of faith saying, oh, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. Or, I feel like I have this, you know, prophetic stirring. I'm supposed to say something. I've never really been um, too concerned on that pace because I figure I'd rather be in the will of God than out of the will of God and he'll take care of me and he'll put me somewhere else. The imposter syndrome that I think I've struggled the most with, and I've been really blessed in my career to carry some really big mantles, is wondering why I'm in the room carrying the really big mantle, you know, in terms of, you know, the professional role. Um, But I had to learn that as a woman who, you know, it's interesting, men apply for jobs and they look at the 10 attributes for the job description and they go, yeah, I've got three out of 10. That's awesome. You know, <laughs> women look at it and they go, oh, I've got eight out of 10. I need to learn the other two things. Um, yeah. We don't necessarily understand that if you're not stretching, you're not evolving and you're not going to the next level of the rung of the career ladder. So I think women do themselves a pretty significant disservice waiting till they've checked all 10 boxes, which in my opinion, you got all 10 boxes, you're ready to go to three layers above you. 
But we as women have to be comfortable with the stretching. I think that's really incredibly important. And I think women feel imposter syndrome in their leadership roles by not allowing themselves to feel the stretch. You're not going to be perfect going into your next role. And that's where I felt the most amount of imposter syndrome in my career. Have you seen a change in women and how women are being given opportunities or doors being opened or treated at those senior levels in, I mean, you've been there for say 20 years in that 20 year period. Like, are we at a better place in 2023 or? Yeah, absolutely. Um, But I would caution that uh, women need to continue to prepare and, you know, I, I, I would say that a lot of the board, so I've been on board since 2015, so I'm kind of a baby in the board world, right? And I've been doing it forever. I think that there is this mindset that because you've held a particular type of position that you should immediately be on a board uh, instead of having a lot of board preparedness and, and doing the work to get on the board. So there's been this mantra kind of the last three years, especially with regulators to say, we need X number of women, X number, you know, the diversity on the board needs to look and feel like this. And I churn on Gov on two of my boards. And I can tell you, for me, I need to do what's in the best interest of the shareholders and make sure that that person is equipped and empowered to utilize your favorite two words. Thank you. Sounds like a good ministry name. (laughs) (laughs) To be equipped and empowered to be able to not just have a seat at the table, but to have a voice at the table and the preparation around that and the differential between those two is really important. I would say 80% of the board roles that search firms uh, reach out to me for the first question that I ask is, are you doing this because I'm a first generation daughter of a Middle Eastern immigrant female? Or are you doing this because I'll be immediately accretive? And if so, why do you think I'm going to be immediately accretive? Because I don't want to just have shelf space, right? And so I think women and what I would implore those that are listening, women need to really understand what their worth is, what their value is, and, you know, the preparedness that they need to have to be able to step up into that next level. But yes, it's a different universe than it was certainly 20 years ago, and it's continuing to evolve. And we're going to see uh, a lot of changes kind of in the next five to 10 years, good, healthy changes. But I think diversity across the board, diversity of thought, diversity of age, you know, the generation, your daughter's generation, Chris, that are coming up are so much more educated, so much more knowledgeable, so much more savvy than we were when they were their age. They can also speak into things like what type of vendors, what type of suppliers, how do we want things to look like, what branding and messaging is important. And when you're 50 plus years old and you're not listening to the 20 somethings and their diversity of thought, you're already becoming antiquated because they're the generation that are gonna be the senior leaders going forward. So. You know, I do think that the world is different for female leaders now than it was 10, 20 years ago. But I also think that we need to start incorporating and equipping the next gen that's coming up 
and including them, which, you know, Chris, you've done such a great job of uh, throughout your organization, including them in terms of what their mindsets are and what they see strategy and how they see branding and fulfillment and all of those other components as well. I love what you say. I was thinking as you were just talking, because Sophia, my youngest, and she's 17, but, you know, even if she buys a new top at 17, she's already told me where it's come from, how it was made, what was like, I mean, you just like the, the, it is astounding that that's part of just an inherent thinking process. It's no longer, here's a blouse. It's like, here's the whole supply chain and mum, there's no slavery involved in this or, you know, it's ethically, you know, what is it? There's a sustainability. I mean, she's thought through everything. And I'm like, wow. You know, in our days, it was like you went into a store and you liked it, you bought it, you're done. But so everything, of course, that then just shows you that they're coming into every situation from a simple shopping decision to everything else. They're going to they're gonna be great leaders. I mean, I'm not talking now. Uh, leaders in terms of some thought processes, but there's got to be character that's consistent that comes with that across the board. Because I think, you know, as much as character is responsible, our generation uh, surely is, um, we're thinking, you know, we need character development and learn a lot of skills, but character doesn't go out of fashion when it goes down to the next generation or the next year. I'm thinking like, no matter what leadership role you have, it still has to be the the primary thing that needs to be developed is character and virtues yeah absolutely yeah yeah 100 i'll tell you a little story and i've had a front seat in the consumer process with the diamond company been very interesting to watch you know 15 years ago if you would have told somebody that you were going to buy your diamond online they would have said you're absolutely out of your mind 62 percent of diamonds now are purchased online uh, my company being one of those at the forefront of that. But in terms of the ethical component uh, and the social justice piece, et cetera, I didn't even know what a conflict diamond was. And now that is one of, I would say, 50% of all of the people that are inquiring ask about where was this, um, you know, mind. Where is it conflict free? You know, what was the supply chain? Was child labor included? And so the awareness in this generation who are now becoming very relevant consumers, right? So it started 10 years ago when they were 12 and 15 years old. Well, now they're 22, 25. They're starting to think about marriage. They're starting, as you said, Sophia's buying clothing online. They're starting to get engaged and they're starting to think through all of the various components of that. It's incredibly important when we are thinking through supply chain, and this gets to something that's very key for me and a question that I've been asking myself literally for decades, certainly coming from the Wall Street world, and a lot of things are legal, not a lot of things I would consider uh, to be legal and ethical. And so the ethical component, so again, that character piece, just because I don't disclose something that may or may not be in a contract may in fact be legal, you know, too bad if they don't have lawyers that are as good as mine, but is it ethical? Am I bringing somebody on with the same integrity uh, and I have to think if this were my brother or my sister or my nieces, 
is that something, is that a business practice? Is that a character that I would want them to be affiliated with and associated with? And if you can't answer that question in the affirmative, then you have to think about, okay, I may be doing this legally, but am I doing it with great character and ethically? What a fantastic example of carrying your faith into the decision-making in your workplace, because you don't work in explicitly Christian environments, but that is such a fantastic faith-based decision-making process. That's so good. Is that is that one of the um, practices that you said when you were working on consistency of character? Was the, that the decision-making process that you implemented, or is that something you've had since the very beginning? No, it really came about when I started being more intentional about um, that consistency of character. And um, I was at a, a media event and they had this really great kind of TED Talk speaker. And this person was talking about what is your personal brand? And if your CEO walked on the elevator with you and you had 20 floors to explain who you were in a company of 40,000 people, what would your elevator pitch to the CEO be? And I determined a long time ago that everything that I did was going to fit in one of three categories, lead with excellence, live with integrity and give back with great passion. And if it didn't fit in one of those three, then I just wasn't going to do it. Right. And so living with integrity, um, it means every component of that. I don't think that you can be true to yourself and have that as a cafeteria type approach, right? I can't be in integrous and do these three or four things and then let these things have slippage. Now, <clears throat> I will also say, and Chris and I grew up in the Greek Orthodox Church, so I can probably say this with... Uh, <laughs> With an affirmation from my sister there, but uh, you have to be really careful to not allow that to turn into perfectionism and legalism, which I have a tendency to do anyway. I came out the eldest child and I tend to be a little bit legalistic because, you know, mom said, you know, this, this, and this, and this is how we're going to walk that out. And perfectionism can also lead to, you know, parenthetical paralysis, right? You, you have a difficult time being able to execute on things until everything is perfect. So... I'm not saying live in perfection. I'm saying live with integrity. So I wanted to make that significant distinction. I think that's so powerful in the midst of that. I'm thinking, so how do you keep your own like passion for the word of God, commitment to your local church? You've been part of a local church for a long time, the same church, mm -hmm. uh, same pastor. Um, how does all that integrate for you and work and and I, I need to ask like do do people at that higher level do you find behind the kind of curtain humanity's humanity and everyone's got the same challenges and fears and insecurities about the future in the world no matter how educated you are or um how big a corner office you have yeah i think the insecurities actually get uh, more significant the higher up that you go because you have fewer people with whom to share it with, right? right? So the terminology, it's slowly at the top, it really is. And and that's why I really feel it's critically important that as 
um, you go through your leadership journey, anyone that's listening goes through their leadership journey, have what I would call your um, personal advisory board. It has to be, you know, kind of your core three, four, five friends that knew you when you weren't sitting in the C-suite that can still tell you, hey, the emperor has no clothes. I'm telling you this out of love. I'm telling you this because, no, I loved you before you were who you are. I love you for you and not what you do, right? And in this world, I think it's very different, different than it used to be. There's always been a cult of personality that people have been drawn to, but it's even greater now than it ever was. So CEOs who really kind of have their own cult personality. I mean, you can get a million followers. You know, I'm not a big social media person, which I know. She's not at all. <laughs> I, I mean, there's really no reason for me to be, but, uh, you know, if I wanted to, and I wanted to, to churn that, um, you know, the average CEO now has several hundred thousand followers. Um, I, I don't choose to live my life that way, but if you would have said 10 years ago that the average CEO could have, or, you know, a good CEO could have a million followers. Well, first of all, I have a day job. I don't want to keep up with that. Right. And I don't want to hire somebody to keep up with that, but what's the point of doing that? If your influence isn't going to be godly, if it's not going to help the culture, right. And heal the culture and, uh, mentor and sponsor, and uh, I don't mean sponsorship in terms of this yeah. product bought, brought to you by X company. I'm talking sponsorship of literally helping women, helping that next generation up. Um, if, if it's influence for the sake of your own influence, I say don't do it. And on that note, I would say that's a huge word of wisdom right there. And I just want to thank you so much for joining us. My friend, you are just full of wisdom. And this has been an awesome conversation. So for all of our Propel Women listening, Laurieann's details are listed and tagged in the description of this episode. So you can keep up with her. But I've got to tell you, <laughs> she practices what she preaches in that She's terrible on social media, so I'm just putting it out there. And so, <laughs> for our, so for all of you listening, we love you, we appreciate you, and we thank you so much for joining us here on the Propel Women podcast. And I can't wait to see you back here next week. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so glad that you chose to hang out with us on the Propel Women Life and Leadership podcast. You can connect with us at propelwomen.org or on social media at Propel Women. Remember, you can find details on today's episode as well as some small group discussion questions in the description of this episode. We'd love to hear from you, so be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and we'll see you back here next week.